0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: Welcome, Chiefs Kingdom, to the first Victory Monday edition of the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride podcast network i'm matt stagner here with rkj he of cbs broadcast fame ron was at the game yesterday living it up ron how you feeling today well (laughs) you can probably tell i was at the game
2: uh apologizing ahead guys because my voice is awful right now but if you saw that little clip of me on cbs you know exactly why i was going crazy first game of the year i didn't get a chance to uh warm up the vocal cords in any other game before so uh but yeah what a great game man it was such a great game to be at lived up to all the hype we all kind of said it was going to be the game of the week and it definitely was i don't think there's any question might go down as one of the best games of the year and we saw it in week one yeah it was it was a crazy game arrowhead was was as rocking as it ever was i had so much fun uh might be one of the only times i'm there this year so i definitely uh, lived it up and and uh you know took advantage of one of the only times i'll be there so yeah
1: what a game what a freaking game I actually kind of hope this is the best game we see all year. Cause it was, uh, it was very stressful to watch, especially in the first half, you know, Ron, how was the back and forth there? There some highs and lows in Arrowhead I bet.
2: Yeah. I was actually sitting next to some Browns fans. Uh, and, and yeah, they were, they were definitely, you know, feeling themselves a little bit and, uh, you know, it's hard not to, it was hard not to, you know, uh, you know, they were winning, you know, they were winning most of the game. So they were definitely, you know, giving us, giving us a little business and all that, but, uh, we pulled it out in the end. Uh, they, they definitely uh, went home a little sad and didn't say bye to us. So, you know, they were talking most of the game that didn't say bye at the end. So if that tells you anything.
1: Well, that is a team I, I sort of hope the Chiefs don't see again this season. I know there was some debate about that. Would you rather have, an, have have another shot at them and have, a you know, again, a good game? Or would you rather not play a team like that who one of our, our readers and, and question askers, said this is sort of like the teams the Chiefs evil twin. That's uh K more at Proud K-S-D-E-M on Twitter. Uh it feels like the Chiefs played their evil twin today. And again, I I sort of hope we don't see them again. I'm with
2: you. Uh I I think if this game is in week eight, nine or ten, it's I mean it was already as close of a game as it could be, but I think the Browns would have a lot better of a chance. I think they're gonna be one of those teams that's really gonna hit their stride towards the end of the season is going to be playing their best football in January. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm cool with not seeing the Browns again. Let uh, let someone else take them on in the postseason.
1: In some ways, they gave the Chiefs their best shot. They played a fairly flawless game plan. They were executing on offense and defense. Um, I thought their, obviously, their running game was really good, but Baker Mayfield was on point. They seemed to be really on the same page with their receivers. So, you know, in a lot of ways, that's an encouraging thing for the Chiefs to have taken their best shot and and still won in the end. The reason the Chiefs won in the end, ultimately, there's a lot of players that stepped up. Uh, you can check out all of the, the post-game content on ArrowheadPride.com, including my winners and losers uh, page. But it all comes down really to Patrick Mahomes. And when you've got that guy on your side, you're never out of any game. Uh, I've seen some ridiculous numbers flying around it just highlighting what he's done in his career in September, but also when coming from behind. So uh, setting the NFL record for most passing yards and touchdowns through the first 50 career starts only in his 47th total start in the month of September 11 and 0, 3,637 yards, 35 passing touchdowns, no interceptions. And that's good for 125 QB rating, which is so far ahead of the second place uh, that our, our good friend on Twitter pointed out that if, Matt and Derek pointed out, if he threw 15 straight interceptions next game, he would still be in first place for quarterback rating in the month of September, which is just absolutely absurd.
2: Yes. Yeah. I actually wrote an article last year just, you know, saying, you know, uh, it's super, it's superhuman. Uh, Mahomes is in September, you know, September Mahomes is a different version of Mahomes and, you know, it has to do with Andy Reid too, but it's kind of funny too. And and I hope it doesn't happen this year, obviously, but, Seems like as soon as October turns, he does always have kind of a worse game than than he had in the first few games. So it really is that month of September, man. It's a he, it's like a full moon and a werewolf or something, man. He just he just turns it on and and he's an incredible player in September. But he's also always an incredible player. That's the other thing. So yeah, what what those stats are crazy, man.
1: It really seemed like he he, drug this team up whenever they were they were struggling, right? Like the the defense was down, Mahomes um, and, and the offense actually didn't play badly throughout the entire game. I mean, they were still moving the ball for the most part, uh, but there were several drives there where the defense just could not get a stop, and and Mahomes just seemed to come back with that counterpunch uh, just about every time. You can count on that, but really that big play to Tyreek Hill is what just changed everything, I thought.
2: Yeah, that was, that had shades of the 2018, if you if you guys remember, fourth and nine against the Ravens. He rolls out right and just lets it go. Obviously, that play was a lot more impressive because it was kind of in traffic. Um, this play, to be honest with you, if John Johnson kind of gets his head around a little quicker, you know, it might even be a pick, but that's the beauty, and I think that's Tyreek should get a lot of credit for that. I think he set up John Johnson to not know when the ball was coming until it was way too late, and Tyreek adjusted to it last second and made that play. That, that was a great throw by Mahomes to give him a chance, but I think that play was made by Tyreek Hill, uh, you know, setting him up, like I said, and 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 making that catch and just flying away the other way. Yeah, I, I think that was the play of the game, obviously, and and Tyreek Hill deserves a lot of credit for making that play.
1: The connection between those guys is remarkable, and, and it's not a coincidence. It's not – Mahomes is not closing his eyes and chunking the ball out there and hoping something good happens. Like, a lot of his critics might think he – he knows exactly where he can throw it, which side of Tyreek he can put it on. He knew the defender couldn't get his head around at that point, um, and, and I think he, he threw it to a spot where he knew that Tyreek could get to it and, and the defender likely wouldn't. The ball placement that Mahomes has, the kind of the intuition on where to lead a receiver is part of what makes him so great.
2: Yeah. I saw Skip Bayless, I think tweeted something about how lucky of a throw that was or something. I mean, you're totally right. Cause the thing is he has the arm strength where he could have tried to put that over John Johnson's head and kind of made Tyree kind of, uh, you know, go like deeper for it. But I think he purposefully put it to where, yeah, you know, Tyree can pivot where he's at and just catch the ball there instead of having to like try to outrun him. And John Johnson's a really good player. So he might've been able to make a play if he tries to throw it over his head. So yeah, I think it's, I think it was a, well-placed ball. He he definitely meant to do that. And that was the play of the game for sure. That turned around the game, uh, you know, in that one play in the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah. What a play. What a game. Yeah. Doing it once is lucky. Mahomes, I think now has a track record <laughs> that, uh, that I don't think people should be questioning at this point, but a lot of people are questioning the chiefs defense after yesterday. And we had a lot of good questions from you all on Twitter. Uh, so let's jump into some of those. So Jake for now, uh, Jake Wilson asked, how would you rate the defensive performance without Tyron Matthew, Willie Gay and Frank Clark?
2: Yeah, I think you have to put those things into the equation for sure. Cause those are really important players at every level of the defense. You're talking about Frank Clark, who's a very consistent, consistently good run defender. He may not always get the sack production we all want, but he probably wasn't going to get a lot of sack production yesterday. Anyway, this Browns offensive line, they really could have used a guy like Clark against the run to, to hold that edge. And I think Dan and Jones did pretty well anyway, but so, yeah, Clark and then Gay, obviously. We saw some, some, some hiccups from the linebacker group in terms of pass coverage. We'll get to that a little later with, with the certain players. And then, obviously, Tyron Matthew. I mean, he's the heart of the defense. I still think Jones is a little more important than him, but Matthew being there would have made such a difference. I think you saw some big pass plays that maybe not, maybe wouldn't have happened if Matthew was on the field. He was the, and, and if you watched the last year's game, he really was the MVP of the game, the, you know, the Browns game had that pick to to begin the second half had a bunch of great reps against the run defense where he just cut off the run it had nowhere to go on the outside yeah and I, and I think we could have that he they could have really used him yesterday on some of those kind of plays and so I I think you got to factor that in I think the defense played you know relatively well for not having all three of those guys in but they definitely showed her performance
1: yeah they were certainly missed I I thought against the run uh covering tight ends and and some other some other areas of the defense so Jake's asked a, a really good second part of this question would the team be able to weather the absence of Jones Sneed and Hitchens against a similar opponent as gracefully as they they weather the absence of Matthew Gay and Clark
2: see I think I think that we definitely I would rather have been missing the players we were missing than uh, Jones Snead, and Hitchens I think for one, Hitchens, especially against a really strong run team, he's setting up that D-line to be in the perfect position. If he's not out there, that there could have been a way bigger holes. And we saw some big run holes for sure. Nick Chubb didn't even get touched on that one touchdown run. Um, but I think it would have been a lot worse if Hitchens wasn't out there. Jones is obviously the best pass rusher, and you needed that yesterday. And he, and he did take over the game in the second half. He had a few good run, run defense reps too. So, yeah, I, I think I'd rather have Matthew Gay and Clark out if, if I'm picking between the two for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can argue that Jones and Snead could be the best the best two defensive players on the team this season, if all goes according to plan. Not, then that's not a slight to Matthew or, or, or Frank Clark or anybody else. Uh, it's just the, those two guys are, could be all pro-level players this season. They both had really good games in, in the opener here, uh, and the arrow's pointing straight up. I think those would be really difficult to replace. I don't know who you'd have uh, at corner. Uh, if Snead were out, you know I think you'd have some some real challenges at cornerbacks. So, uh, Crypto Karma Crypto Karma Nine on Twitter asked, "What are the were the defensive issues a result of bad play against the Browns, or was was it really the Browns' offense being super effective?"
2: Yeah, you got to give credit to the Browns. They had a great offensive game plan. They really executed well, especially you know that first half. They were just they just couldn't be stopped. They only had one three and out all game, and it was late in the fourth quarter. And, yeah, I think the other part of this that we got to give the Browns credit for is that wide receiver, Anthony Schwartz, the rookie third-rounder. Man, he is going to be a playmaker for them, and he was yesterday. And I do think that kind of caught the Chiefs off guard. You know, they they probably knew he was a good player, but his speed was lethal. It led to some huge plays early on, especially that 44-yard catch-and-run where he burnt Juan Thornhill down the sideline on a corner route. Yeah, I I think the Browns' offense was just really, really good yesterday. Obviously didn't help to not have the guys like we said, um but yeah, I, I think either way, even if these guys were and I think the Browns offense would have had a pretty good day.
1: yeah, for a while, it felt like an old uh, one of the games against the Titans from the last couple of years when that offensive line and the the running backs were imposing their will. The Browns had a really good offensive game plan, and they've got the players to execute on it. Their offensive line, I thought was was pretty fantastic for a lot of this game, and uh you know obviously. With Chubb and Hunt, uh, you know there's no letup between those guys uh, running the ball. So it, it was a difficult uh, matchup, and I think they played as well as they possibly could play. And it, it was really a tale of two halves for the Chiefs' defense. The adjustments they made at halftime seemed to really make a difference, and and I think a lot of that uh, was how they played, you know, on on third down and how they played their pass defense. Uh, it seems like they, they got the Browns into some more predictable situations in the second half.
2: Yeah, and so that leads to our next question from Spider Woman 69 at Spider Woman 69 on Twitter, because there is two phases of the of the defense. And, and I don't think either of them play particularly well. But what is the bigger concern between these two stags, the run defense, which he, they put again in in parentheses, because, yes, it, it seems to always kind of be an issue. Uh, you know, we can never really get that run defense perfectly. OK, so is it the run defense that's a bigger concern or the lack of pass rush, which we really did not see a lot of penetration in the pocket until the second half? Stags, what has you more concerned from that game?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think pass rush is generally a bigger deal throughout the season, and I think this team will be better against the run uh, when they're at full speed. Uh, when they have everybody back uh, and, and they start to gel a little bit in their fits and the kind of the, the where, ha- when they play assignment sound, the run defense is good enough, but really we expected a little bit more from the pass rush. If you look at the numbers, Matt McRollen of, of chiefs.com pointed out that Chris Jones had three pressures. Mike Dana had two and really nobody else had multiple pressures throughout that game. And so you expect more from Tershawn Wharton, from Jaron Reed, from, Uh, the other ancillary pass rushers that the Chiefs have, and a a Steve Spagnuolo defense that that generally gets home with the blitz. It seems like they had a lot of success when they got to Baker Mayfield, but they didn't get there often enough. So I'm a little more worried about the pass rush, at least after this game. The Browns have a
2: very strong, powerful offensive line, and he's definitely more of a quick, finesse player, and that could have led to some of that. I do want to say, though, I do think Turk Wharton had a pretty – I, I was kind of impressed with how he played against the run for he, him not being much of a run defender. I think we all know he's more of a pass rush specialist, but he had to start. Derek Nani did not start yesterday. He was he was limited. Uh, you know, he did play, but he just didn't play that, that much. And so Turk Wharton was trusted to be the starting defensive tackle beside Jaron Reed. And I did think he held up kind of well uh, for his, you know, for his style, for his terms uh, against the run. But, yeah, no pressures, which I was surprised to see. And lastly, I will say real quick, I clipped this one on Twitter. Jaron Reed did have a, a nice little spin move that uh, got him penetration in the backfield. Only thing is it seemed to kind of be out of the whim. I don't think there was much of a plan with, with Turk Wharton beside him because I think if Turk Wharton knew what he was doing, like if he, if he knew Reed was pulling that spin move out to the outside, he would have stayed in, he would have rushed maybe from the interior more. He kind of rushed outside as well. And it just left a wide open hole for Baker to run up and scramble for a few yards. So it's one of those things where, it was a good play, but that kind of has to be corrected. Reed's got to let everyone know, or they have to know the plan. There has to be a plan every pass rush uh, play, and it didn't seem like, uh, you know, Reed. That plan was all together. It kind of seemed like Reed just did that out of out of out of his own uh, whim, I guess. So yes, I, I was surprised to see some of the complimentary pieces not perform as well. You mentioned Turk Warden. I will say Colin Saunders, though, he had one pressure according to PFF, and and I think I saw where it was. Man, he he went out on the right tackle and bulldozed him and shoved him back about four or five yards. Jack Conklin is a pretty good right tackle. I thought that was a very impressive rep by him. He he really did just show a lot of power and strength on that play, and that's really what you want to see from a guy that I think has a little more finesse to this game, as long with that along with that power. So that was good to see. He just didn't play that much uh, to have many more plays besides that.
1: So we agree that the pass rush is maybe more important for this team, and it might be more of a difference maker. Again, especially with an offense that the Chiefs have, you're going to have teams – you're going to put teams in situations where they have to throw the ball. And When that happens, this defense has to capitalize like they did in the second half. I thought Chris Jones really took over in a lot of ways. I know Andy Reid pointed that out, that he played like a man possessed in the second half when the Chiefs needed it the most. He helped close out that first half drive, which is really important to get, for them to get the ball back right after halftime, um, holding – The Browns without a score right before halftime, I thought was a really, really important play in addition to the sack he had later on in the game. But really, the linebacker position is where we also got a lot of questions, and there was a lot of eyes on this group, not only with Willie Gay Jr. on IR. We were curious to see how they would line up and how many snaps would go to Ben Neiman versus Nick Bolton. Um, Really, there was a lot of talk about Nick Bolton in this game. What did you see from the linebacker position?
2: Yeah, one thing I thought was very encouraging was that they did trust Nick Bolton to be that second linebacker uh, aside with Anthony Hitchens in the nickel defense when there is only two linebackers on the field. I really thought they'd just trust Neiman or they'd just put Neiman in there because he knows, knows the defense, it's Bolton's first game. you know, And and that that could have been really bad. That could have been a really bad call on, on the coaching staff's part to have Neiman in there against a, a team like the Browns that runs so well. I think it was a really it worked out really well. Bolton was really good against the run. I would say, Um, I I think there's some other areas that he could have been better at, but against the run, he definitely made some plays, some important plays, some tackle for losses, and and it was encouraging to see that for sure.
1: Yeah, I think his football intelligence shows up, uh, especially for a rookie, especially for this early in his career. We didn't expect him to see a ton of time on the field, and and with Bolton on the field this week, he looked like he belonged. I didn't feel like he was lost. Um, I do think there was a couple coverage reps he'd like to have back, but definitely he's a sound tackler. He gets to the right spot. Um, so there was a, a lot of questions about Nick Bolton, um, NSA Spybot <laughs> Spybot underscore not a lot on Twitter, asked if he lived up to expectations. I really think he did. I think those were expectations for Bolton should have been that he could play about like he did yesterday. Solid in the run game, you know, knowing where he's supposed to be, um making making you know being a sound tackler but not necessarily a dynamic playmaker and and that's uh that's what we saw so far,
2: yeah, actually looking at p f f right now um Nick Bolton had the highest tackling grade on the team and had the second most tackles sneed got one more than him, but Bolton had six tackles according to p f f three run stops, which constitutes a failure for the offense and i think it's like one two three yards i think as long as they're it's within that it's called a run stop so Yeah, I I think he played really well against the run, but like some of these questions kind of get to, I'll get to Nick Russell's question on Twitter at nrussell2018. He says, Nick Bolton is meh in coverage at the moment and good downhill against the run. He is basically mini Anthony Hitchens, and that's a good thing for the future. Agree or disagree? I'll go ahead and agree with that. And I think he, he might be a Hitchens, but just with a little higher athletic upside. And I think that's really important. And I think he will get better at coverage. I don't think it's something where he'll never be a good coverage player. I just think for right now, and I was charting the first defensive possession. I didn't I didn't get past that. But on the first drive, there were a couple coverage lapses that were definitely his fault that led to some big plays. Uh, one was a dump off to the running back. It didn't seem like he picked him up when he should have. And then also he got caught up in a play action that uh, that led the tight end to be wide open in his zone coverage. So, yeah, I think I think Bolton's going to get a lot better against the pass, but we can't expect too much. I like your point about the expectations. I think he did live up to what everyone should have expected from Bolton, but he obviously wasn't perfect, and he's got a long ways to go to be a, a legitimate starting linebacker. You know, a, a, you know, kind of a better linebacker than we've had it here uh, recently.
1: A young Anthony Hitchens, I think, is a good way to put it. I do see him as the future at that at that Mike position. And re- that's what he looks like to me. He looks like a Mike. I don't see him as the, the playmaking will. I think you've got that in Willie Gay. Uh, I'd love to see those two guys on the field together, hopefully in, in a couple of weeks, there was a, another question about uh, everybody's favorite whipping boy on, on the chiefs, uh, Ben Neiman, Theodore uh, Roosevelt, uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt eight on Twitter asked how on earth have we not found a linebacker better than Ben Neiman? He is just awful. Uh, what'd you see from Ben Neiman in Week One? Yeah, he was he was just there. I mean, I, I I can't recall,
2: and I don't really have any notes on him really blowing any game. You know, any particular play? He's just not the strongest tackler. You know, he'll get pushed back against the run. I, I guess there was one play on a Kareem Hunt run where he had a lane to get him basically at the line of scrimmage, but he just he just wasn't fast enough to get there, and Kareem beat him to the edge and got about five yards in a crucial spot. So, yeah, I, I I kind of agree with Theodore Roosevelt. I just uh, I, I I'd love to see Neiman not on the field as much. And it's it, it does look like when Gay's back, if they're going to trust Bolton like they did in week one, they should have Higgins Bolton and, and Gay as the three linebackers. And then we won't see Neiman. That's that's really what it feels like, because Gay was way too good in training camp for them to turn back on it now. I think I think they're going to give Gay a lot of opportunity once he gets back. And I think Bolton has proven that he should be playing over Neiman once they're in those three linebacker sets. So I don't think we have to worry about that too much longer. But yeah, he he wasn't great yesterday and he never really is, to be honest with you.
1: You know, I, I'm usually on that train, um, but I will say there was a couple of plays where I saw that he was, he was part of a couple of those big plays that happened in a positive way uh, for the Chiefs defense. So he's a very up and down player in my mind. He seems to be somebody that um, you know, consistently knows where he's supposed to be. He can't always get himself there, uh, but he finds a way to be involved in one or two big plays uh, every game. He recovered the fumble, if I remember correctly. Uh, this yes. week. Uh, So, you know, if, you, if he's involved in the turnovers and, and he's helping the, the defense uh, in big moments, then, you know, I can't blame him entirely. But let's, let's finish up by talking about the uh, defensive backs you know, with Matthew out, uh, John, and, uh, Mr. KC Husker uh, on Twitter, did Thornhill show enough to be ahead of Sorensen when they when they go to Baltimore?
2: That is a great question. I, I do think Thornhill had a really up and down game. Speaking of that fumble that Neiman recovered, it was Thornhill that came in and made the tackle, kind of put his head on the ball and forced it out. So he's got to get credit for that but I do think there were some other plays where he really lacked range as a safety kind of maybe didn't give himself enough opportunity or enough room to make the right play. I mentioned that Anthony Schwartz play earlier. He, he kind of just came down a little too far in his zone coverage. He was supposed to be over the top and he just wasn't able to recover. And and that's what led to him being wide open. And I think he just needed to be smarter about it kind of stayed back a little more, but I do think we saw some other good things from him too. Uh, I, ju- I just, just, he, ha- he did have an up and down game and, and there is reason why he's not starting right now. And so I, I, I don't think Sorensen had the greatest game either, but Sorensen did make the game winning play, you know, tackling Baker as he was throwing it. I, Baker would have thrown that thing out of bounds if he was, if he wasn't uh, tripped up by Sorensen at the last second, it went right to Mike Hughes. So I think Sorensen comes up and makes big plays all the time. And I think that's why this coaching staff trusts him to start over Thornhill right now.
1: I, I was really encouraged by Thornhill's pass breakup. Uh, the, the the broadcast really yes, focused good on call. His technique there, and, and how he just got in there and knocked that thing away, uh, just exactly the way you draw it up uh, for for a defensive back. So that was encouraging. I thought he he came on strong as the game went on, just like the rest of the defense. Um, so I'm not concerned with with Thornhill at this point. I think um, I think he's going to have a good season. He'll have plenty of opportunities. They use enough safeties on the field that you know it's not soren it's not sorenson or thornhill it's it's and they're both gonna be on the field plenty um brian uh brian j at b underscore sheck on twitter asked will this game push the issue of the tyron matthew contract
2: yeah shout out rocky rocky mg megyanya i i hope i didn't screw up his name sorry rocky if you're listening <laughs> but uh our guy at ap <laughs> you know one of our newer staff writers uh, he actually said this on the postgame show yesterday that, yeah, if you're Tyron's agent, you kind of get in the ear a little bit of the of Brad Veach and say, hey, you see how your defense played without him on the field? Do you really want that to be going forward any more often? So, yeah, I, I think it's a good point. Um, like I said, I think Thornhill and, and Sorensen held up pretty well. They definitely didn't have their greatest games at all. Um, but I, I do think it, it it definitely showed why Matthew needs to be on the field. And and we saw it last year, as I mentioned earlier in that Browns game, the playoff game, Matthew's super important. And he, and he would have made a huge difference yesterday. The defense definitely would not have looked as bad. I still think the Browns would have put up some points though.
1: Yeah. The chiefs don't need any other motivation to sign Tyron Matthew at this point. They're right. not, they're not surprised um, by what the team looks like without, without Matthew on the field. I think there's a, um, Uh, There's every motivation by this team to get this player signed. I don't think that's an issue, but I think for fans and pundits and everybody having not seen this defense without the Honey Badger on the field, it it really was eye-opening to say they were just missing something. They were missing that dynamic, that unpredictability that that Matthew brings. Um, I really do think they miss him in the run game. I think he cleans up a lot of run plays. He's so quick to identify – those uh, misdirection plays and and make some tackles in the backfield, coming in like a missile and taking out somebody's legs. That's something that I didn't see a ton of without Matthew on the field. So it's certainly pointed out in our minds uh, what it might look like if they somehow don't get this deal done. Um, But again, the chiefs already know.
2: Yeah, you're 100% right, Stags. That's a great point. I don't think the Chiefs, I don't think that's why this contract extension hasn't happened yet. I, I think we can all understand that it's more just about the uh, you know, just the timing of it, I guess, and 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 they're trying to figure out I guess if they have the cap space. Uh I I you'd think it would have happened by now, but anyway, we'll see how that goes. We'll 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 save that for, you know, hopefully we we'll see that in the season uh sometime. One of our last DB question though, and this is an important one because I do think the cornerbacks you know, didn't play great yesterday. Uh, Jeff, not G off on Twitter at Jeff parse. Once healthy, Baker needs to start over Ward question mark. Not really a question, but um, I I'm surprised he said Ward. I would have, I would have thought we were going to, you know, go with Hughes, although Hughes did make the game winning pick. I think Hughes got picked on a little bit as well. Stags, where do you think on this? Does do this? Does there need to be a shake up in the starting cornerback rotation?
1: You know, I I wouldn't say so yet. Um, I think that both Ward and Hughes, like you said, got picked on here and there, especially early in this game. Uh, There there were some plays where where I I remember seeing Hughes in perfect position, doing exactly what he's supposed to do with tight coverage, and the ball got completed anyway. That's going to happen sometimes. So I think the corners could have been better. I think I was surprised to see Baker inactive because I think he's going to be a big contributor this year. I know they went with Lamons for a reason and we saw a little bit of that reason yesterday, but I'm not sure that Baker over Ward is going to happen. I think he'll be back in the rotation at some point. Um, But you know, the the corners were exposed a little bit perhaps partially because of uh, the lack of pass rush and uh, the lack of safety help in, in some regards. A lot of times he just, he he's not able to actually break up
2: the pass. And I think that is a skill that, you know, some corners have and some corners don't have. I think it's a natural kind of instinct skill. And and we saw with Thornhill, I think that was a great play, like you mentioned, where he he got in between the guy's hands and ripped it out. I just feel like we don't really see that a lot with Ward. Even if he has tight coverage, it just seems like he never is able to, to actually, you know, force an incompletion when, you know, it, it's a hard play to make, but. I just think sometimes we got to see more of that aggressiveness, get that hand in there and actually rip the ball out.
1: Well, with that, let's go ahead and take a break. Let's pay a couple bills here from our sponsors. We'll come back and we'll talk more about the offense and all the observations from week one on this victory Monday edition of the Out of Structure Podcast.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team.
2: all right, back on the Out of Structure podcast, fresh off a 33-29 victory over the Cleveland Browns at Arrowhead Stadium in week one. Hope everyone enjoyed that game. I know I did. It was a great game. And we've had some great questions so far. We, we've we talked about the defense a lot. We're going to go ahead and transition to the other side of the ball with the offensive line. And I think we're real quick we're going to hit on the fact that, you know, last week we did get a question about if the, if the Chiefs offensive line could pitch a shutout in terms of sacks. Which obviously I, I think we both agree that would be very tough, and obviously it did not happen. They did they did get a couple sacks. I know Mahomes maybe you know could have been blamed for one of those for sure. His po- you know that that pocket presence we've kind of complained about in the past a little bit, um, but you know two two sacks isn't too bad. It could have been worse. What do you think about that, Stags?
1: Yeah, I mean this has been the story of the off season, right? Is this offensive line the rebuild? The three rookies starting. I mean, this was really what everybody was here to see. And we knew that this would be a tall task uh, against the Cleveland Browns and a really good defense with a lot of talent on it. So I think expectations should have been a little bit tempered for the opening game. I think this, this offensive line is going to take a little bit of time to gel. You've got some players developing here. Overall performance, you know, I, th- I thought it was a mixed bag. I thought there was a little bit of uh, pressure on the edges, especially Orlando Brown uh, that maybe gave up uh, some additional pressure. Uh, above and beyond what we should have expected from him. I think the stability we expect to see on the left side of the line, you know, is uh, it should have a little bit higher expectations probably than, than the right-hand side of the line. And I, I think the running game was not quite as good as we would have liked. And then we'll talk about that when we get to Clyde, but there's a, there was, they left some, some things on the field. I think there's some, some stuff we'll see on film this week that they'll work on uh, in terms of of run blocking uh, and, and pass blocking as well.
2: Yeah, to extend this conversation, let's just throw out a question from Derek Langford on Twitter. Uh, besides a couple sacks given up, one of which may have been due to Mahomes' tendency to take too deep a drop on third down, as I as I mentioned a little earlier. How well did the offensive line perform, and is there anything you saw from our front that we should be excited about in the weeks to come? So let's use this opportunity to kind of look at the numbers from the game. Uh, courtesy of PFF they're the best way to get offensive line stats because there's not really any other place that keeps offensive line stats and I will say real quick uh we are supposed to be getting some coaches film again on game pass hooray I'm sure hoping so I know they've kind of uh, said they were going to get it by the regular season so but uh if, if we can get some coaches film I'll definitely have a breakdown on the offensive line I'm really looking forward to watching them from a from a coaches film angle but so let's, I'll run down the, the stats real quick from PFF and, and I'll let you react to those stags. Creed Humphrey had a clean game. He had no pressures allowed. He had the best pass blocking grade on the team. Now center is a pretty, it's an easier position to, to look good and pass blocking because you're never, I think I've mentioned this before, but you're never really one-on-one. You're always kind of helping more than you are just taking on a guy by yourself. Trey Smith to his right had the second best pass blocking grade. He had one pressure. And then Joe Tooney had a, you know, didn't have his best game. He gave up pressure as well, and he and he also had that holding call that that took away a, a big play uh, early in the game. Travis Kelsey getting down to the two yard line on a pass. It was an iffy holding call, um, but he he was grabbing a little jersey. I think it just was one of those things where he was kind of isolated, and the refs were able to see it pretty well. And then Niang and Brown uh, both gave up a sack each, and 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 so Mahomes was sacked. Although, as we have mentioned, you know Mahomes kind of might have been able to get the credit for that one, but uh. Yeah, so I think I think it was an up and down game for the offensive line. Do you have anything else to add to that?
1: No, I thought Trey Smith looked pretty good. Um, he didn't. I think there was at least one pressure he gave up, like you said. But uh, but overall, I think he held up well. Uh, and obviously, uh, Creed Humphrey in the middle, you know, was was pretty pretty steady as as we've come to expect from him already. There's this, he's not even a question mark at this point on this offensive line. It was really about the edges, and I think. Getting used to Mahomes' drawbacks um, and, and Mahomes playing that right um, certainly could have stepped up and helped them out a little bit. I didn't see a lot of help for the offensive line. I don't know if you noticed a, a lot of tight ends or, or chips or, or extra help. They generally don't don't do a lot of that on the edges. Um, I don't think these guys got a ton of help. I think they were put out there against you know the arguably the best edge rusher in the league without a lot of help in game one. You know, he was bound to get at least one big win, uh, but he didn't wreck the game. And I think that was the biggest thing you can say for him is that as much as they they battled, there was, no, um, there was never a feeling like they were outmatched and that they were never going to uh, be able to move the ball because of the offensive line.
2: Yeah, real quick. So I got two things on that. So first of all, you're right. There wasn't a crazy amount of help, but I will say I, we did see... They did use a play action where they they play action fake the running back to the side where they want to chip and, and he goes and and hits the defensive end on his pass rush, pass rush path. They did that a few times, but maybe not as much as we'd like. And then the other thing uh, going off of our over-unders from last week, I don't know if you noticed, but on the Mahomes scramble, Trey Smith absolutely demolished a dude and put him into the dirt. So that's one pancake. We're, we're up to one pancake on the year, and maybe there was another one that I missed. But, uh, yeah, if you go back and look on the Mahomes scramble touchdown, he absolutely buried a dude at the goal line. It was great to see. And that's what Trey Smith's going to be. He's going to be a real highlight player this year. But go, moving forward, we're going to focus in on the left tackle a little more. Adam Harney, at a Harney 1020 on Twitter. Do you think that Orlando Brown struggling is a cause of concern or just a result of going against Miles Garrett? And I, and that's a legitimate question. Stags, do you think we should be worried about it right now? Or is this just kind of, you know, Hey, you're going against the best player in the league. This is bound to happen.
1: Yeah. We had a similar question from Iceman uh, at Lieutenant Tom Kazansky on Twitter uh, feedback on Orlando Brown. He, he indicated he thought Eric Fisher performed better last year. You know, I came away from this game thinking that not much had changed from last year is for all the things that did change. This result and, and the way the game felt was pretty similar to the outcome that we have seen in, in, in previous years with Mahomes. I thought this offensive line performed about like previous years, offensive lines have. Uh, I don't know that they were dramatically better. I don't think Brown was dramatically better or worse than Eric Fisher. I think there's, I think there's pros and cons to both guys. I think they're both uh, uh, good players with, uh, with some limitations. I do think Brown this may be the worst game uh, of the season for Brown, or at least we can hope so uh, per Mike Renner of PFF on Twitter. He gave up five pressures, which would be his career worst in a, in an NFL game. Uh, so I think that Brown Brown wasn't terrible, but I don't think he was as good as we we'll, we should expect from Brown. So I think he'll be better going forward. Uh, but this line as a whole and the left tackle position, the right tackle position were at least on par with what I thought we've seen from uh, the chiefs offensive line prior to the Super Bowl (laughs) last season. Um, I I think this, this team, the arrows pointed up still on the offensive line.
2: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Actually. uh, That's a, that's a great point because I do think the offensive line was, was all right. You know, almost average and i think that's what we've had in kansas city for a while now i think they've been able to get away with average offensive line play one because mahomes is so dang good but also because andy is really good at play calling to protect his offensive linemen and not put them out to dry so yeah i, I think that's a good point um i i, I think brown the other part we got to keep remembering is this is his this is his first year in a pass heavy you know kind of pass first offense in or in baltimore you're not getting a lot of true pass sets where you're where you're getting enough pass sets to have five pressures. You know, I mean, he just probably didn't have a lot of opportunities to even get that many pressures uh, to go. So So we've been talking about all the pass blocking with the linemen, but they were also run blocking as well, and they were run blocking for one particular back who got the bulk of the carries on Sunday. That's Clyde Edwards-Elair, former first-round pick, our guy, that we've all been excited about all offseason. And we'll start off uh, talking about his day with Steve Soper's question on Twitter, at Steve Soper. Uh, he just wants, he just wants to know an evaluation of Clyde's performance and the run, run blocking together. He just, he just kind of mentions the running game, still not there. And he also mentions that Clyde ran in the blockers, missed cutbacks. Oh, that's, that is your note, Staggs. That's a little uh, behind the scenes right there. Uh, reading too much, uh, stags, why don't you go into those notes you had on the run blocking and Clyde's
1: performance? Maybe we'll have that part a little bit too, but, uh. All right, so Clyde has been my guy all along, and it pained me a lot when I had to write the winners and losers this week. I put Clyde down as a loser largely because expectations are so high. Edwards Laird had his moments. I mean, he had 72 total, to get total yards, which is not terrible, um, but it's also not as dynamic as we had hoped. They got him involved in the passing game a little bit. They got him involved uh, in the second half uh, and had some more success there. I just noted overall, I felt like he left some yards on the field. He ran into some blockers. He missed a couple cutback lanes. Didn't have a lot of room uh, to run, especially in the first half. It seems like things got clogged up pretty quickly there. So we weren't seeing the giant blown open holes like we had, like we sometimes hope when we talk about a more powerful offensive line, more of that gap scheme. Uh, Our hope was to see, some more open lanes and, and some more, uh, some more running room for Clyde. And I don't know that we saw that from the offensive line. And then even when we did, I'm not sure that the, uh, as uh, the kingdom, RJ Weaver 127 points out, I don't know if the vision by Clyde Everett was quite uh, as good as we had hoped.
2: Yeah. I got to agree with you and the kingdom uh, there. I, I do think it seemed like a couple times when there was pretty good run blocking, he did tend to run in. I, I, there's one particular play where if he would have bounced outside, there was a lot of room, and it just seemed like he kind of stuck himself right, bu- right behind. I think it was either Trey Smith. It, w- it was one of the guards. But, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think I was kind of disappointed maybe a little bit with how Clyde performed. Now, I will say, when he gets those dumps offs in the, dump offs in the flat, it's not the first defender has never taken him down. He, he is very good at making that dude miss or getting a few extra yards after, he, after he's gotten contact, and maybe they drag him down after that. There was one particular play. It might've been in the first half. Honestly, I can't remember, but it, it, I think it was a pretty important first down conversion and he, and he basically missed, made two guys miss to get it. So that was really important to see. So, and we'll, and he'll see better run lanes, you know, as we move forward, not just with the offensive line getting better naturally, obviously, but the Cleveland defensive front proved to be very good. I, I will shout out one particular player who crazy enough has not played since 2016 in college. Malik McDowell, I, he's he got in a wreck or something one of his first years of his, or I think in his rookie year. And then he also had some other off-field issues that that caused him to kind of go out of the league. But now he's back. And he was a first-round pick back way back then for a reason. And you saw it then. He actually beat Orlando Brown on the first play of the game to get a tackle for loss on Clyde edwards helaire So yeah, I think we're going to see, the offensive line is going to have Worse opponents to go against in terms of run defense. So we'll see this rush offense get better for sure.
1: I think so. Another thing that we felt like um, could have been an issue coming into this game were the wide receivers, the, the ones after Tyreek Hill. Obviously, Hill had a monster game and, and obviously it was super impressive. It's, it's what we've come to expect from Tyreek Hill, uh, also from Travis Kelsey. But if you look at what everybody else on the team did from a receiving standpoint, not just the wide receivers, but all of these backup tight ends that we've been so excited about through the preseason, if you look at the, the percentage of targets, 65% of the targets uh, that Mahomes had went to Kelsey and Hill. They accounted for 89% of the passing yardage. That was Heath Cummings from CBS pointed that out on Twitter. I noted in my article that those secondary pass catchers, the, the highest receiving yards total for anybody after Hill and Kelsey Uh, was Nicole Hardman, who had 19, Uh, Demarcus Robinson had nine, and each of those guys had a play that was was pretty much on the negative uh, when you look at it. Jody Fortson, Noah Gray, those guys completely shut out in their debuts, didn't even get that many snaps. Uh, And so these additional receiving targets, not just the wide receivers, but the the tight ends as well, uh, pretty quiet in week one.
2: Yeah. Look at the stats. I mean, uh, you have a great staff from Heath Cummings uh, at CBS. He tweeted it out. 60 percent, 65 percent of the targets Mahomes had yesterday or through yesterday went to Kelsey and Hill. And then 89 percent of the passing yardage, uh, you know, the entire team's passing yardage was to those two as well. So that points to that, that what you're talking about. And so we'll start first with with one of our favorite guys to talk about on this podcast. And we keep going back to the predictions from last week. But one of them was how many times D-Rob would run backwards when he gets a catch. And what do we know? The first catch he gets of the season, it's a third and 11, I want to say. Yeah, it was third and 11 because he got nine yards. Man, I think if he goes upfield, he gets the first down. But for some reason, he tries to go lateral or horizontal and try to get around defenders when there really wasn't an opportunity to. And so June, at Royals June on Twitter, he asked how we can fix D-Rob's problem. And that's all he says. D-Rob's just the problem himself. So what do you think about that, Stags? Is there anything there is need to be fixed or is there something else in the cards maybe to uh, take away from D-Rob?
1: I don't know, man. Replace him. That's (laughs) that's all I got. (laughs) You know, Robinson is who he is. He he made a great play on that particular catch to get open, you know, caught the football, uh, took a hit but still ran backwards. So that's exactly what we've come to expect from him. Nobody in the building was surprised. Nobody watching at home was surprised. That's exactly what we thought he was going to do. Exactly what he did. I don't think you're fixing that guy. I think he just, he is what he is. The only hope is that uh, other players can step up and make a bigger impact.
2: Yeah. And I will say too, you're saying everyone, everyone is expecting that. One other guy that kind of may, I mean, he probably was expecting it too, but, you could tell Mahomes was frustrated. Mahomes, they kind of cut to him right after, and he was kind of yelling at Robinson a little bit to, you know, I'm, t- I'm sure he's telling him to get down, you know, get downfield, get north-south. And so that's all. And, and we've kind of talked about McColl, but uh, what's up?
1: He did that in the, in the um, end zone as well. There was a play where uh, Mahomes yes, yes. Short, and, and it was very clear that he had expected Robinson to break that route off and, and come back for the football uh, the one time that you want Demarcus Robinson running backwards, <laughs> coming back for the ball and he
2: doesn't do it. Great recall on that, Stags, because, yes, I did notice that too, and you could tell Mahomes was frustrated after that play as well. And, yeah, that would have been a big play. That would have been a big touchdown. They had to settle for a field goal on that drive in the fourth quarter, and obviously they pulled out the win anyway. But that, that could have been a difference-making ga- uh, play right there. and And that just goes to show you that there is really – this distrust, or maybe just we're just not having this. The second receivers are just not getting behind Tyreek Cole, just not getting on the same page with Mahomes. And and one of the other ones is McCole Hardman, the collector KC at the collector KC on Twitter. He asks, why is McCole running out of bounds a yard short of first down when he could have gotten it to and and he's avoiding contact, obviously. I, to be honest with you, you noticed this play. I actually watching it, watching the game twice. I still have not noticed this play has not jumped out to me. So I'm not even sure exactly what the situation was, but it sounds like, you know, he could have gotten the first down stags. What did you see on that play?
1: It it might have, this might've been just as a minor detail in one of those things where when a player's angling towards the sideline and you're angling for that, for that marker, if you hold the ball in your right hand, the ball goes out of bounds prior to the marker. If you hold it in his left, uh, or holds the ball out in front of him, then then he gets the first down. It could have been something as simple as that. I think with McCole Hardman, all we've talked about for a long time is he needs to get better at the subtle details, the nuances of the game that make you a professional. And I think we're still not seeing a lot of that stuff out of him. So they didn't. They gave him a a a, um, a forced you know touch where they where they gave him the ball on on a run. Uh, they gave him one target. Uh, he had one catch. You know, just not a big day for McColl as Super Bowl Grazen 15 at Barbecue Chicken 27 on Twitter. Quite a name there. Uh, he asked, uh, <laughs> why does it feel like uh, uh, McColl Hardman doesn't play? Like he's so far under the radar. Uh, he should get more than three catches a game. And, and I think we agreed up this when we talked about it earlier, that for the long stretches of that game, you're almost surprised when you look at the snap counts and you see how much McColl was in because he didn't have a lot of production given the number of routes he ran, the number of snaps he took this week.
2: Yeah, he was on the field for 70% of the snaps and to not have any kind of production out of those snaps. And the other part of it is the production he did get was not anything, you know, it, it was set up plays like we've always talked about with him. It was it was no, he wasn't winning downfield. He wasn't winning on a, an intermediate route. He was just getting those short passes or, or the design quick screen passes and taking them, you know, through a few, few yards. And I will say another thing, uh, before we move on, is that if you're Hardman, I know he's this fast kind of you know uh, thinner dude that made, doesn't want to take hits or something. You know, you you understand that, and and you see Tyreek kind of maybe uh, you know uh, avoid contact as well. But Tyreek can do that because Tyreek has proven otherwise that he can make game changing plays. If you're Hardman, that's how you make the game changing play. That's how you make the impact is by taking on that contact. Because I mean, you're not. <laughs> what else are you doing out there if you're only getting three catches for 19 yards? Yeah, he's got to change that up a little bit. You know, go ahead and and start being a little more physical, putting your body out there and showing these coaches that that you're, you're about it. You're not a number one receiver, so you're not you're you're not allowed. I would say not allowed to go out of bounds and avoid contact right now. I think Tyreek gets a little more pass for that. Obviously, I don't think McColl should. I think he needs
1: to put his body on the line, maybe a little more. When was the last time Tyreek went out of bounds before the first down marker, though? Like exactly, it, you know, I, I think that's the difference is. Is you, you make the play. He's fast enough. He's quick enough to get there. He was there. Uh, he literally just uh, uh, didn't finish the play at the end. And, and, yeah, maybe a little bit was avoiding contact, but just attention to details. So, you know, Brett Myers, uh, Bama fan 7 points out that a lack of a plan uh, at, you know, the second wide receiver position seems like an issue that could haunt us a few months from now. Anything you can think of that the Chiefs can do in that regard? Like, there's always questions to hear from Chiefs fans about acquiring every free agent wide receiver out there to solve this issue. But is there anything they can actually do that would make a difference? So they had Darius
2: Fountain inactive this game. Um, You know, I I did notice, though, Marcus Kemp was getting run, uh, you know, even late in the games in important situations. Now, that may just be – you know, getting the guys some some rest. You know, it was a hot game, and and they were trying to rotate pretty good. All every level of offense and defense was rotating pretty good, I would say. But I, I did notice that Marcus Kemp was getting in there a little bit, so maybe they're just trying to find if if another guy can step up and be more reliable. And and Kemp has shown really good stuff in the preseason training camp. He's never gotten the opportunity in the regular season. I don't know if Kemp starts proving himself a little more, maybe some of the the percentage of snaps that D Robin and McColl take. Maybe it goes to Kemp and maybe, you know, maybe they try out Fountain next game. You know, I I think we might see one of those things, but we're definitely not going to – I don't see us trading for a receiver. I don't think that's part of
1: the cards for sure. No, I think they're going to continue to force feed McColl and make him that guy, whether, you know, whether he performs or not, he's going to get that opportunity. They they like Byron Pringle and and Demarcus Robinson, I think, because they know exactly what they're going to get from those guys and they're both substantial blockers downfield. I don't think they're going to lose any snaps anytime soon. So you're right. The only variables here could be uh, – could Fountain ever get his opportunity? Uh, I'm not convinced that he will anytime soon, uh, barring any some sort of an injury. I think this is what you're going to see. I think it's going to be uh, uh, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Occasionally, McCole Hardman will have a big game, uh, and everybody else will just be filling in in between the lines yeah i agree and, and speaking of tyree Hill, Cruz
2: ace veto on twitter at c c e a c m 23 i'm just going to spell it out because i do not know what he meant by that but he just asks simply how has tyree hill become the most unguardable wide receiver in the nfl and that's a great question because it sure seems like he is it's the brown secondary is pretty young denzel ward's a good player and and Actually, I I will point out real quick. Denzel Ward got there a little early on that one deep pass target that, that he broke up pretty well in real time. It's hard to say, you know, in real time that did look like a clean play, I would say, but the replay definitely showed him kind of getting on Tyreek's back before the ball got there. Um, But besides that Tyreek had a pretty good game. He actually did say he left some yards on the field and he, and he thinks the enemy is going to, he used these words, chew him another asshole uh, in film because he left, he left so many yards on the field Stags,
1: what did you think about Tyreek Hill's big day? That's quite a statement for somebody who had 197 yards receiving <laughs> and a touchdown. You know, he is a special player because of his speed and quickness, but also of his route running. The guy gets uh, he runs elite routes and and he comes in and out of his breaks fast, so fast it's, it's ridiculous. But he also competes for the football, and so you add those things up with a ridiculous chemistry with Patrick Mahomes and and. That's what you get, man. He's he's one of the top two or three receivers in the league and the number one uh, best fit for this offense and this team and this quarterback. I I wouldn't trade him for anybody.
2: Nope. So let's move on to special teams. Uh special teams, we got we got one good question from the special teams. Chiefs mash forever, always asking us good questions at Chiefs underscore mash eighty five on Twitter. And and the the topic is the special teams player of the game. I think we can all agree stood out is Chris lamons uh, he asked, with Lammons showing up on special teams, do we see DeAndre Baker being inactive moving forward? And he said, was surprised he was not playing. Uh, we were down some star players this week. You know, yeah, I, I'd I'd agree with Baker being a surprise inactive. But, man, Lammons was all over the field, and he's starting to give us – you know, the reason Tyrod Matthew came <laughs> at me on Twitter was because I thought they should have kept Tim Ward over Chris Lammons. Uh, Lammons making me look dumb, for sure, because I do think – if you're going to play that well on special teams, and Tyron Matthew even said he might be a Pro Bowl special teamer this year, he's calling a shot. If you're going to play that well on special teams, you definitely deserve to make it on the roster, maybe over a guy that, that's going to be your fifth or sixth defensive end. Uh, you know, it, it, everyone has a different opinion on that maybe, but Laman showed out, Stags. Uh, what do you think about Lehman's big day?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's certainly justifying his roster spot uh, on special teams. If, if you're going to have a guy on the roster just for special teams, he sure as hell better show up. And, and jump off the screen and, and he did. So I think uh, the chiefs, you know, knew all along with the head and lamins and, and, you know, this probably wasn't surprising as surprising to people in the building as it was to the rest of us. And, and I think they were, they were somewhat vindicated in that decision. So it, it might lead to more inactives from either Baker or Rashad Fenton or somebody else uh, as they rotate the, the defensive backs around. I do think they've got Baker in the plans uh, for this season. I don't think he's going to be, you know, a, a forgotten man. I think he's going to have a big part on this team. Uh, but for this week, they were right on Lavins. Hey, let's get to a couple other questions real quick before we completely run out of time. Um, John Lassiter asked, after, to, after today, meaning Sunday, what is your biggest area of concern from the Chiefs? That's a good question.
2: I would have to say I still think the linebacker group is going to be – is going to have some troubles. Uh, I, I, still, I still think that's going to be the main issue. Like we kind of mentioned earlier, with Gay back, it does seem like it's going to be Hitchens, Bolton, and Gay. And so that's good to hear, you know, those three linebackers always being the guys to rely on. But, yeah, I, I think it's got to be the linebackers still. I just think there's, there's a lot of intermediate passes that get completed because they're not great in coverage. And, and that's going to be a, a problem with, with some of these better passing offenses moving forward. What do you, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with the, the, the defensive line. Um, I have pretty high hopes for this group this year. I thought there was a lot more depth, you know, with Tershawn Wharton, with uh, Jaron Reed, uh, with even Colin Saunders coming on this year. And, you know, the edge players uh, looking like there was a couple guys that were going to step up. I know they were missing Frank Clark, and I, I do think he is a dramatic difference maker with that group. But so some of the things you pointed out earlier with some of the run fits, some of the, the timing and how they play off of each other. Um, it, it, there was, there was some concerns there and they look like a a group that were more overmatched than they should have been even against a, a pretty potent offensive line. Uh, my hope is that this is you know more of a matchup and a, you know, a, a, an issue with uh, uh, with some of the guys that were out, but there's some concern there based on that, that front that I thought would be more stout. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I do think, I do think the defensive line
2: is a strength enough to where they should have had a probably better game against the Browns, no matter how good their offensive line is. But moving on to our next question, Chris fried at Chris fried, 78 on Twitter. Chiefs continue to win tightly fought games. Is this a result of good coaching talent, luck or a combination of all of the above? I think I'm gonna have to go with all the above stags. What do you think?
1: Man, it's, it's a result of having number 15 on your side and not on the other side. It makes all the difference. It really does. You know, teams, it should be a coin flip when when it's a within one score. You know, it, it's all about who makes a play. And when you know you have the best player in the world, and you know that he's as clutch as they come, he is going to make a play at some point in that game, and he's going to pull pull something out. So I, I think it's a result of Mahomes more than just about anything else.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I do think they got a little lucky with with some of the timeliness of Cleveland's turnovers, but. Turnovers are going to happen in a game. Um, and, and that's why I pointed out on Twitter. I, I do think the Browns played as close to a, a a perfect game as you can uh you know, going into arrowhead week one. I'd say you you couldn't have played a better game, you know, turnovers are gonna happen. So moving on to the next question, uh, championship swagger at Brandon 422 on Twitter, based solely on week one's performance of the uh if the Bills and Browns play each other, who wins? Which I think this is a little silly of a question because if you based it on week one performance, you'd say the Browns, I would assume, but just let's just go in general. I, I think, you know, if you go later in the season, who do you like between the Browns and the bills?
1: So I think the, the bills were under more underwhelming uh, in week one than, than the Browns, obviously uh, Josh Allen did not play his best game. That was a big loss to the Steelers 23, 16. And they weren't blown out by any means, but it was a game where you thought, you thought the bills would roll and a lot of people had them slated as the, well, I saw at least one entity had them named the number one team in the AFC. Uh, but most, most have the bills and the Browns as two and three and, and really the chief's biggest competition. Uh, what a great way to start the season for the chiefs getting the win and having both of those teams taking the loss. I don't know how they match up against each other. Obviously I think the Browns uh, running game would have given the bills some fits Um Josh Allen certainly didn't play his best game in week one. So if I had to base it solely on the week one version, yeah, it's probably the Browns pretty easily. If Josh Allen comes back to form though, that Bill's offense can be a lot more potent than what we saw yesterday. Yeah. I'll just go ahead and say the Browns, no matter what, I I think the Browns are going
2: to be a better team this year. I think the bills are, are a lesson that, you know, not every team is going to progress linearly. You know, not every team is just going to get better and better and better as it goes. I, I, think they, I think that was their peak last year. I think they'll still be a playoff team and everything. But I don't think they will be as great as they were last year. And a lot of people thought they were going to be better. It's just week one, though. We'll see how it goes. Last question here before we get out of here. Casey Tryhard on Twitter. This is a good point. I think, I, I think it's an interesting point to think about. I thought the biggest error was on the coin flip. Never give a running team the ball first if you can help it. Let the, you let them get the momentum, and from there they could play loose. Go out and score and make them play from behind. That's, that's, this is an interesting strategy, Staggs. Do you agree with our guy Casey Triard here, or is this kind of a, a moot point?
1: You know, hindsight's twenty twenty here. The Chiefs took the uh, ball in the second half, and that turned out to be important for them in this particular game. They needed to get that touchdown to start the second half in order to, to have a chance to come back in this one. Yeah, I could see your point here. I think for, for teams like the Browns, you want them playing from behind. I'm not sure that it would have made a difference on this particular day. Uh, I think the Browns, you know, they, they scored on basically every first half possession. So uh, does it make a difference if they're, uh, you know, if, if they went first or second in that regard. Uh, I'm not sure that it does. Uh, I see the logic there, but at least on this day, I'm pretty glad they had the ball to start the second half because that was a momentum changer.
2: Yes, I totally agree. I think no matter what, you always want to have the ball in the second half. If that means you're giving that team a little momentum to start the game, so be it. There's, you know, 50-whatever minutes left in the game after that first possession. So I think I think it's always
1: smart to just get the ball in the second half. And, hey, Mahomes is 10-6 and six in his career when trailing by 10 or more points. Uh, so more times than not, uh, you know, coming from behind is not going to be an issue for Mahomes and the Chiefs. So I thought this game played out like a lot of games that we've seen in the past. It was it was everything that you'd want to see in a Week One game. There was drama. There was coming from behind. There were giant plays by Mahomes. There was uh, a little bit of everything. And uh, I, I hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did. A great start to the season for the Chiefs. Sitting here one and zero as we talked to you today on a Monday. Hopefully we're back next week talking about another uh, victory over the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, thanks for taking the time and, and spending your time with us today and joining us on the How to Structure Podcast and the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. And we'll talk to you next week.